<laughs> now I have the privilege to call up Danielle Freitag to share about Action 169. And we'll move some of those things away so that you don't have to deal with the mess that I make. All right, here. Oh, can I set this one? Yep. I have a lot of stuff too. Okay, Bible, iPad, clicker. Clicker. All right, thank All you. Right. All right. So before <laughs> I let Danielle go, I'm going to pray for her. Father, yes. lift up to Danielle now as she shares about the work that you are doing through her and Corey through Action 169 as you bless this time. Guide us, Lord, that we might hear as well. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joe. So when I'm doing the clicker, where do I point? Um, point, at <laughs> point at where? That point way? Nathaniel. Okay. Nathaniel. All right, Nathaniel. Got it. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. You guys are gonna have to bear with me. I do feel like I have a lot of stuff here, and then they were trying to hook me up with a microphone that I had nowhere to actually hook up. So, and I do move around a lot. Um, so, if you can't hear me, please say so. Uh, but thank you so much for having my husband and I, Corey's here, and my daughter Hadassah. Um, and, and family as well. So, um, Susanna, Beth, and Felix. But we're just so grateful to be here. Um, Pastor Joe, thank you so much. And I just, um, I just want to start out by saying I just honor, um, any church and, and people that are willing to, um, just talk about what we're going to talk about today, really, because some of it is, is kind of tough stuff, right? But we live in a culture right now that's, kind of got some tough stuff going on. But as I was coming in here and my husband and I were praying together, I just, I felt such a, um, just the Father's heart and love for this church, for, for this body of Christ here. And I, and I truly believe that there are some people sitting in here that are intercessors at your core. You know that when you pray, things happen. And so I just, I want to just speak to you and to your spirit right now. Keep praying. Keep going. Keep praying. Your prayers are making a difference, whether it be right here in this community or in this state of Minnesota or in this nation, and maybe it's even nations. Um, my husband and I know that we have been called um, to be missionaries, disciples, whatever you want to call it, right? We love and have had a life-changing experience because of Jesus Christ. And so I want to um, start out just a little bit talking about um, Action 169. Um, do we have the slides? Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so our organization, Action 169, um, just real briefly, we got our name from, anybody know? No. <laughs> but everybody says that. Okay. So here's a cool story. And this is the Lord, right? So we, uh, with others, start praying every Sunday night. We're like, we need to pray. We just need to pray. So we get together and we pray and we pray some more. And the Lord gave us a, uh, a chapter or a uh, scripture, if you will, from the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 9. So Paul uh, is given a vision. He's given a, um, a word from the Lord. And in this vision or dream, if you will, he sees a man in Macedonia, and the man in Macedonia is saying, come over here and help us. Come and help us. And what's really cool is that when Paul gets the word, the next verse, he immediately takes action. And it says right there in the scriptures, immediately they took action. They went over to Macedonia, and they responded to the cry for help, knowing that they had been called to preach the gospel and to share the good news. So our organization is actually based on a faith in action, hearing from the Lord first, 
Prayer first, hearing from the Lord, and then taking action. Because we don't ever want to be outside the will of God. We want to do exactly what He is showing us to do. And so we got together and we started praying and we really started to feel the weight of the injustice of what I'm going to talk about today. So, um, did you, have we kind of been briefed? I might bring up some words. I know there's some, some younger, a uh, younger crowd in here. I'll be, I'll be mindful of, you know, how I share and what I share. Um, but, but we are going to talk about some kind of tough stuff, but it will, we'll come to a place of hope and I've got lots of scripture for you and some really cool stories. Um, so the, here's a picture of my husband and I, and I share that, um, because he, uh, if it wasn't for him, we would not be doing, um, what we are doing. So I just honor you, Corey, and just thank you for, being by my side and, 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 um, and so grateful for how the Lord has worked in our lives. We've been married for, oh my goodness, 13 years, 13 years. <laughs> and, um, just, uh, finally, um, our adoption went through in 2020 and, um, just love, love being a mom. So, um, I have to, of course, always share a picture of my family because they come first. Um, ministry is a good thing and is a wonderful thing, um, but it's faith first and then it's family. Um, I think our greatest ministry is within the walls of our home, right? Within the walls of our home. And so um, this, actually, I'm going to back up. I'm going to ask you guys a question and please, uh, you know, shout out what, maybe what you think of. Don't be shy um, because we are going to talk about the injustice of exploitation. And that does mean um, trafficking, so, has, I mean, has anyone heard about trafficking, understand a little bit about exploitation? Okay, so awesome, some hands in here. When I say that, what comes to mind? When I say exploitation or trafficking, what comes to mind? Okay, good one. Women held against their will. Young kids, thank you. Let's get a couple more. One more. Okay, that's a good say that. What was that again, louder? Yes. Okay. Okay. Is that, ta is that the movie taken? Okay. So interesting. That's actually part of my presentation, but that was a really good one. <laughs> okay. So, so, um, interestingly enough and very common is that when I talk about this and we, we do, I mean, we, we travel um, nationwide. It's a little bit harder now. Um, I, I'd actually rather be home with my family sometimes, but I do get called and requested to come and speak. And, um, when I ask this question over the last decade, the response has really changed when I ask what comes to mind. Um, I've heard things like, um, and, and I'm going to be careful with my words here, but I've heard things like um, prostitute. I've heard things like, um, you know, drug addict, criminal, things like that, right? Um, but thankfully, we've really come into a, a greater understanding, and especially within the church, that God has a heart and a love for these women who are being exploited and, and for those who are perpetrators. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that too, right? There is restoration um, for any of us, no matter what, right? Because, because we know who we serve, Jesus, right? So this is actually what's called sensationalism. And the reason it's called sensationalism is because this is actually what exploitation and trafficking really looks like. It's the woman who was once a teenager. She's targeted, befriended, and brought into maybe the strip club industry. Or the 20-year-old who's checked into an outpatient treatment program and her boyfriend has been selling her for, she, selling her for sex. Is that okay if I, I'm trying to be mindful of my words here? I'm selling her for sex for profit. Okay, so this is actually a form of trafficking. Or perhaps it's the 14-year-old girl 
who's actually been targeted on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, getting messages in her messenger. Okay, so this is actually the reality of what we're talking about, and it happens right here, right? This isn't something that happens internationally. It's happening domestically. Um, when sex trafficking is actually sensationalized, so think about the movie Taken, right? <laughs> it does happen. It does happen that way. There is such a thing as kidnapping internationally. But when we're talking about domestic exploitation, we are actually talking about um, grooming. And we have to be careful not to sensationalize because then the real victims go unnoticed. And it's harder for them to self-identify and get the help or services that, that, that they need. So here is a picture of who? Who's that? Husband, you should know this. Who is that? That's me when I was little. <laughs> By the way, so here's a picture of me when I was little. And I love to sing. I love to dance. I was in, um, I was in jazz, tap, ballet, all of that. I did guild auditions. Um, so for any piano teachers out there, you know what guild is. So played piano, um, loved playing piano, loved music and the arts. And um, growing up, I loved to sing and dance. I grew up in a nice little three-story Tudor-style home by the water, um, played sports, and excelled in writing and the arts. However, my vulnerabilities growing up were the following. I lived in a home where there was alcoholism. Um, my, I, I need to say now that I honor my mom and dad. Um, they are still married, and they have an incredible story. My dad has now been sober, what, nine years, Corey? Ten? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is a story. It's an incredible story. Um, my dad getting sober, um, and you know, my mom as well. It's just our whole family, like the, like God just touched our family, <laughs> um, and brought some significant change. But growing up, my vulnerabilities were alcoholism in the home. Um, I was actually exposed to pornography at a pretty young age and really just being a teenage girl in this culture. I went to a public school. There's, um, there's a vulnerability right there. Um, the innocence in my dance, and my song was actually stolen. Um, so real briefly, I was targeted um, by an older gentleman and um, who actually became a, bo a boyfriend, and um, he fed a growing drug addiction in my life. So I was severely addicted to drugs and alcohol. By the time I was 15 years old, I had been to four different treatment centers and um, actually dropped out of school um, when I was 17, went back to an alternative school, um, knew that I needed to get an education, but still was going through a lot of really tough stuff. And um, he actually was the one who brought me into the um, strip club industry. Um, and so that story is, of course, a story in and of itself. But three days after my 18th birthday, um, I was taken to have an abortion. And abortion is a trauma, and it is um, one that made my existence in the industry a whole lot easier. And so I'll talk a little bit more about that as time goes on here. But... Um, we're talking about, and this was, uh, hopefully this picture's okay. <laughs> okay. I was, I was, I tried to clean up the presentation a little bit, but we're talking about a billion dollar industry right now. Um, stilettos became my shackles. Shackles also came in the form of faulty thinking and substance use and an entanglement to those who profited off my vulnerabilities. So again, I was pretty young. Um, to give you a context of the scale of this industry, even right here in the state of Minnesota, and some of you may or may not be familiar with this, um, but Deja Vu, um, which is actually the largest strip club operator in the world, they're connected with um, Hustler, uh, Dream Girls. Um, it, they actually have 132 clubs nationwide and um, many adult stores. They were the largest producer of pornography from the early 
late 60s to the early 90s grossing a billion dollars. So think about how many women, how many young girls are brought into this exploitive culture, and then how many are brought into the addiction of the exploitation of others. So I'm going to show you a video about Action 169 and why we started doing what we were doing, because we have felt the weight of this problem in our culture, right? Exploitation would not exist without the demand. Exploitation would not exist without the demand. There we go. Thankfully, restoration is possible. And there were many things that attributed to my personal restoration, but the key thing and the key person um, was Jesus Christ, because restoration is a person that is within reach. Right? Think about the woman who suffered for 12 years. 
she had tried everything, right? She went to different physicians. She did this. She did that. I, I believe the scriptures say she spent all her money, right? And what happened? She recognized a moment. The Messiah walked past her. And she probably crawled low. She probably got on the ground and violated rules, right? There were crowds at this time. People were following Jesus. They'd heard of this man. And she saw him, and she probably got low, and she reached out and just touched the hem of his garment. And immediately, instantly, he was healed. I constantly say, and I say this to those that we serve, it's not behavior modification, it's presence. It is Jesus. He is the one who brings restoration to any of us who may be struggling with addiction, to any of us who may need any form of restoration. And so that has been the key in my own personal journey, of course, getting sober and working through forgiveness and, and many other things. But specifically, it's been the key has been worship. Um, it has been looking at and learning and honoring the Jewish man named Jesus. He is restoration. Now, the truth is, the authentic voice in our culture right now is so often silenced, right? The world is telling us to be complacent. There is an attempt to silence the true voice of who we really are, of who Christ is, of what the scriptures say. And it's not just happening to survivors of exploitation, it's happening to all of us. But the moment that we connect with truth, with Jesus, with the Messiah, we're better able to live out what is true, right? What is biblical, and so this is the, the best pictures I could find here. It's, um, you know, worship. We went to Israel in 2015. It's a picture of sitting in one of the gates. Was that in, in where was that at, Corey? The middle picture? Jaffa the Jaffa Gate in, in the old city there, right in, um, in Israel. But it was incredible. It was amazing to be in some of the same places that, that Jesus was. The olive trees that are in the garden, they may not be the exact olive trees that were there, the night that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, but they are like the, the parent trees, if you will. Like, how incredible is that in the same place? But these were the keys to my worship and, um, and to my restoration was uh, Scripture and coming to know Christ. So a few things here. I'm not going to go significantly into my story. If you're interested, there is a book in the back. It was written from a place of restoration. Um, it's called The Garden Keys, 22 Keys of Restoration. So every chapter is um, a key of restoration, courage, forgiveness. What does it mean to be a missionary? What does it mean to be a disciple, to share the gospel? Um, so that is there, and that is something that has been a part of my restoration. Now, I want to go back to this message here. So again, in the book of Acts, right? Holy Spirit led the disciples. So if you're familiar with, and if you want to open to um, chapter 16 in the book of Acts, let's actually open up there and I'll get mine out too. It's really incredible, but right, sometimes we're supposed to go places and other times we're not. So Acts chapter 16, All right, so I'm going to start at, let's see here, verse 7, so 16, verse 7. Oh, start on 6. Thank you, husband. All right, Corey. And they went through the region, um, and, and forgive me if I say these names wrong. Corey, you want to help me? Is it? Eritrea. <laughs> uh, okay, and Galatia. I've got that one. So having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, verse 7, and when they had come up to... Miss, Missia, they attempted to go into another place. 
Bithynia. <laughs> Forgive me. I've read this so many times. I do this every time. I just need to learn them. Um, verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Okay, so right, they are being led by the Holy Spirit. That's the point here, right? Holy Spirit is leading them, and he's actually showing them where to go, where not to go. Um, verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over and help us. And then, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Right? Here it is. They get a word, they get a vision, and then they go and they do it. That right there, that is that is being a disciple and that is being a missionary. It doesn't matter if we're going to a different country or if we're or being called to go talk to our neighbor, right? A couple weeks ago, I had our neighbor reach out to us and she needed a ride somewhere. And I felt the Lord say, you go give her a ride. I left work and I went and gave her a ride. But there's times I've missed the mark. There's times I've missed it, right? We can be missionaries right in our neighborhood. We can be missionaries right wherever the Lord send us, sends us. But that's the thing is he sends us. And so I, I just love that God gave the vision to Paul and that gave him direction, right? We don't have to strive. Holy Spirit will show you. You might be standing in line at the grocery store, right? And it might be someone standing right behind you. A simple smile. So moving on, this is our team. This is the Action 169 team. I'm so grateful for each of them. My prayer mama, uh, Miss Ruth Schuler. Does anyone know Ruth? Alberta. Oh, thank you, Beth. Yes. <laughs> She's been by my side since, I don't know, 2007 or 8, um, but has prayed with me, has walked with me, and I'm so grateful for her. We all need a, need a prayer mama. But this team here, um, spirit-filled, and um, it's the reason that we've been able to do what we're doing. Teams are so important. And, you know, when we started praying, whether there were two people on the prayer call or four, we still prayed. And you know what? There's been times I've been the only one, and that's okay. We continue to pray. And that that's grown. The, the prayer teams have grown. They've grown into... Um, Corey, do you have a, it seems like you have something you want to say. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's our team. And just a little bit about Action 169. So our prevention program has reached roughly 100,000 people. And this is by means of a podcast that was actually just picked up by Charisma Podcast Network. Our annual daddy-daughter dance trainings, Runway for Action program, um, which partners with the high schools. So we're doing some um, outreach to youth as well. So between our intervention program and restoration, we've had the privilege and honor of serving nearly 600 women who've been exploited and or trafficked and um, offering support to 24 of them to receive services like counseling, housing, um, or whatever is needed. So I'm going to skip through some of this. Our residential housing is new. In 2021, we opened Rose House. Um, one of our uh, residents actually came with her two-year-old son, um, and uh, we're just we're, we're a new program. But she was able to find a safe place for a time. Um, our restoration services provide uh, a unique opportunity to heal from trauma. We are unashamedly a faith-based program because, right, Jesus is the one who brings the restoration. And so we make sure um, that, you know, Bible studies are present and um, that the women are able to um, be discipled, right? All right. So a couple stories about Action 169 that I want to share with you. So um, this is a picture of rallying other freedom fighters. So rallying disciples, uh, rallying other missionaries to be a part of this message. Uh, we began a freedom race, 5K, 10K years ago. 
Uh, we're not doing it anymore because it's a lot of work, but it's because we opened Rose House. Um, but this was really fun to start. When did we start that, Corey? Do you remember? 2015. 2015, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> so, okay. I want to share a couple stories, though. We really started feeling like we were supposed to pray for law enforcement. Do you ever just get a nudge, right? Holy Spirit tells you to, to pray for someone. You write it in your journal, right? Maybe you gather a team to pray. We felt the weight and the nudge to pray for law enforcement. So for six, seven months, that's what we did. Our prayer calls, we spent time praying for law enforcement. Shortly after that, right, signs will follow. Signs will follow. We started getting phone calls and getting invitations to come and assist training law enforcement when they came into a situation where there was a victim of, of trafficking or exploitation and there had um, begun to be uh, stings, right? You know, when there's when they're stings and somebody is soliciting for sex, right? And so we were actually praying for law enforcement. And I'll never forget sitting in an investigator's office and he asked my help because they were trying to find a young girl. And so they were, we, were, we were actually looking through what used to be, you guys remember like Craigslist? It's since been shut down, thankfully. Um, but Craigslist used to have like an adult section where you could solicit for sex. And they were looking for a young girl who had been trafficked. So a lot of these women, these, these ads that were being posted, especially young girls, these are women who are being trafficked. Like they have someone who's profiting off of their vulnerabilities and their pictures were being posted and, and people here in southern Minnesota um, and, and central. I mean, anywhere really it happens is that they were being solicited and so um, stings were being, um, stings were, were happening um, and they continue to happen. All right. So 2018, what, what, what happened in Minnesota that was a big deal in 2018? Any sports fans here, guys? Super Bowl, right? And who won? Dude, I don't remember. <laughs> it was not the Vikings. Okay, right. Well, when Super Bowl came to Minnesota, I, I mean, I know, I know there's people who are really excited about that, but we were like, oh my gosh, big sporting event, hype in trafficking and exploitation, and that's exactly what happens. And so we gathered um, and brought together Exodus Cry. Um, anyone familiar with the International House of Prayer, um, Exodus Cry? So right, they came up here to the cities, and we did a three-day event. And the Lord told us, have the uh, Native Americans, uh, friends of ours, Holy Spirit-filled Native Americans, start Justice Awakening. We did worship. Um, we did outreach. We did strip club outreach. We, uh, Exodus Cry, they would do like, um, what's the outreach where you do phone calls? So they would actually pose on the phone calls, right? So if, if people were calling in on these ads to solicit for sex, we would be the ones answering the phones. Lots of cool stories. <laughs> Lots of cool stories. Um, but that was a three day event in 2018. Um, just, it was just a beautiful time. There were several survivors, um, who were a part of that, including, my publisher, and very good friend, Cassandra. So here's a really cool story. I love this one. I feel the Holy Spirit on this one. So we're standing, we're in Texas here, but we're standing in the former headquarters of Backpage. Okay, so now for anyone familiar with Backpage, uh, again, another online um, site where people could solicit for sex. Uh, young um, teens were being trafficked through Backpage. So what happened is Deliver Fund assisted law enforcement and a huge, and you can look this up, there was a, an, a criminal lawsuit. They were actually closed down. So Backpage was closed down because they, they were caught for 
being involved in sex trafficking. They were, tra they were a part of trafficking youth. And so here, Deliver Fund says, well, we'll take their office. So Deliver Fund is in the old former office of Backpage. And here I am with um, Survivor Leader, my publisher. She helped me get my books out, um, Cassandra. And she has a, an incredible story of redemption. Um, signs will follow. Now, here's another story of signs will follow. Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you, Lord. The strip club story. We're doing prayer calls. We're doing outreach. We go into a strip club in northern Iowa. And one of the gals comes over to us, and she's, she recognizes us. We've been going for a while. And she's crying, and she's having a really tough night, and she pulls us into one of the dance rooms with the pole. And, you know, again, just having a really tough time. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what, what can I do? Like, Lord, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit's like, listen, just listen to her. And I'm led to ask her, you know, when I'm struggling, I sing. And I do. I love worship. I love singing. But I said to her, what was your favorite song when you were a little girl? And she said, yes, Jesus loves me. And so I said, well, do you want to sing it? So we did. We sang, yes, Jesus loves me right there in the strip club. And I felt the presence of the Lord. And I know that she had a moment where she felt true love that is pure. That strip club, a week later, right before our prayer call, right, we're getting ready to gear up for a prayer call. And my phone, I'm getting all these text messages. Danielle, the strip club is burning down. The whole club burnt down to the ground, okay? And I, <laughs> I believe that was the Lord, like, right? She had an altar moment, right, where she was, like, the Lord touching her. And so I know one of the girls flicked her cigarettes in the garbage can outside, and it, it burnt, the whole thing burned down. So signs will follow. All right, a couple more stories, um, and then I know my husband has something to share. I can see it in his face. <laughs> all right, in 2020, after the craziness of elections and all of this stuff happening, um, story in and of itself, my friend Jenna and I really felt like we need to just like pray and just get our minds, our hearts focused on Jesus, right? And so we feel the Holy Spirit calling us to start a podcast, and so we do. And like I had mentioned, this podcast has been so much fun, but we're talking about relevant issues, decreasing vulnerabilities in youth, preventing the hypersexualization that's happening in our culture to youth. Um, and again, this podcast was recently picked up by Charisma, um, and it's just been so cool because it's a way that we have been able to be missionaries, right, and be disciples, is to speak the truth no matter what, um, no matter what anyone says. Our last one... Um, we had a gentleman come on who struggled with same-sex attraction, and he is a believer. He's a spirit-filled believer. He has an incredible story, but he talks about how we can love, right, those who may be um, living in homosexuality. We can, we can love, but that doesn't mean we need to tolerate because we know what the scriptures say. And I'm unashamedly saying, right, like, what is the, 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 the first thing in the scriptures, um, a mandate, if you will, God said, what did God say? The first mandate, be fruitful and let them multiply. How are you going to be fruitful, right, if it's not a man and a woman? We know what the scriptures say, so we can love, but we do not tolerate the, um, the, 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 the behavior or the sin, if you will. And his story, this Tyler, um, has an incredible story of how the Lord delivered him from same-sex attraction. And then he talks about how we as the church can respond right when this happens. Um, and so that is a, uh, available through our podcast. Okay. Now I'm going to wrap up here. I know my husband has a story to share. And um, I want to ask, what, what is the solution? I have, I have some responses for you, but I'd love to hear from you guys. 
right? So we know there's an injustice of exploitation. Uh, we know that trafficking is happening. And we also know that the viewing of pornography is very much linked to the trafficking of souls. And so we as the church cannot partner with the same spirit that is fueling the trafficking of, of daughters and some sons, right? And um, my, my husband has a, an incredible story. Are you willing, are you open to sharing that? Okay, come on up, dear. All right, because we have solutions and we want to hear from you as well. Um, but my husband has an incredible story of overcoming. So. Yeah, so um, I'm from St. James here. I graduated in 1997. And uh, I got saved in 2004. Well, prior to getting saved, I was court-ordered to go to AA for quite a few years here in St. James. And there was this plaque on the wall in the AA building that said, you can't keep what you got unless you give it away. And um, when you talk about evangelism, that hits home for me. We're, uh, we're meant to be a conduit right? Not a container. And um, so I got saved, but after I got saved, I didn't feel like I had anything to give. Um, I knew I knew John 3.16, and that part of salvation made sense to me, but this whole idea of um, maybe it might have been Doug and some of his friends who gave me this book, Share Jesus Without Fear, I don't know, you remember that book? Anyways, um, I didn't feel like I had anything to share. And the reason why was because after I got saved, I was still addicted to pornography. And as much as I got saved, I got the Holy Spirit, I knew it was wrong, but guilt wasn't enough to get me free. And um, as I, I can... Remember, after I got saved, my mom gave me this Bible for Christmas, and I was just mad because I didn't want a Bible for Christmas. I didn't want, <laughs> like, what kind of Christmas present is this? I wanted, <laughs> but um, a couple days after she gave me that Bible, I went to a conference down at the International House of Prayer, um, had a radical encounter with Jesus, and came back hungry for the Word of God. And I started reading in the book of Romans, and I got to Romans chapter 5, and I read the words, and I was reading them, but it didn't feel real. You know, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't feel that inner peace. I felt inner t- turmoil because of this addiction that was still really feel very real in my life. And then it said, the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. And... And I knew that God loved me, but what I was experiencing was guilt. And you, you might say it was, con- there might have been a little bit of conviction mi- mixed in there, but it was the same shame that I was feeling about it even before I was saved. And so as I started re- like reading into this verse, the love of God has poured out into my heart, because I've been trying to quit. And one night I experienced the love of God being poured out into my heart for the girls that were working in pornography. 
So instead of me like quitting doing this because it was wrong, I experienced God's love pouring out into my heart for the women that were being essentially exploited. And um, this was long before I met Danielle. And I and my brother Sam at that time started experiencing a call on our lives to, um, to reach out to the poor and the oppressed. In uh, Isaiah 58.10, it says, when you reach out to the poor and the oppressed, evangelism, your light will become as noonday, your well will become a spring of living water, and everything that you do will prosper. Well, as I started going from being me-focused and just focused on like eradicating this sin issue to being God-focused and experiencing His love and being people-focused and sharing that love with others, I found victory. And the, the compulsion didn't go away overnight. Like it wasn't like, okay, immediately God delivered me from the compulsion, but the love was stronger than the compulsion. And um, through the fellowship of the church that I was in, um, I became, I began to walk in the calling that dad, that God had for me. And from there, um, probably the greatest um, you could um, aid in my personal walk in accomplishing what God has for me is finding somebody, right? who is not only to be not unequally yoked with. And I believe God did that for me with Danielle is like um, our first prayer was we don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us. And when you find a spouse that is willing to run the race with you, um, you become unstoppable. And I believe that's um, that's what I believe for our lives. I believe that we can accomplish everything that God has for us through his strength. And his power in no other way. And so um, I guess for, for anybody here who feels like their, their service to God is being done strictly out of duty or guilt, look to him because the love of God will be poured out into your life. And once you do things out of love, instead of duty or compulsion, you will find that you will become an unstoppable force in the kingdom of God. And then when you share Jesus, it will be from a totally different platform. Because people, when people experience Jesus' love, it changes everything. I can remember when I newly got saved after I, after I had this love encounter, my one of my best friends called me up in tears. He'd just gotten his third DWI. It was looking like a felony. He's from St. James here. Went to school with him. He called me at like 7 in the morning. He was in jail. And I just said to him, I said, Jeff, I just want you to know that I love you. And I didn't say Jesus loves you. He knew that I became a Christian because my brother and Sam, Sam and I just were kind of like, like in everybody's face, all of our friends. They're like, quit hanging out with us. Stay away from us. Because we'd still go to the same parties in the same bars and we'd just tell everybody that they needed to get Jesus. <laughs> and, and, um, but, but Jeff at that moment, just knowing that I loved him was the exact words that he needed to feel. And from that place, um, 
it wasn't a week later that he was born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, next thing you know, he's getting baptized. He's in jail and he's fasting. Um, six months later, he's marrying my sister. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, now he's part of the family, not only of the Freitags, but of the kingdom of God. And so, it, so love is is the greatest motivator. Um, Danielle could not walk into some of the places that she didn't walk in, that she walked into if there wasn't, if she wasn't carrying love. And, um, and that's the truth of evangelism is sharing love. (laughs) You know, um, and I've, I've got just a little bit of time, right? Five, about five minutes or so. Um, you know, when we are going into some of these places, because we do, we do outreach, we go back into the strip clubs, and, you know, I've heard I've heard the argument, well, these women choose to be there. Well, no, not really. It was it was a limited choice that they had, and, and their vulnerabilities were preyed upon. You know, a lot of the women are experiencing um, some kind of addiction. Um, maybe they've had sexual abuse, some form of it, you know, in their past, um, or just dealing with some really tough stuff. And so... Um, you know, we we did feel the call to go back, to go back into the same places. And so my outreach partner and I, um, Anna, she's also, she's actually a survivor of sex trafficking, but she and I go and we do outreach in the clubs and we just meet the women right where, they, where they're at and build relationship, bring gifts. And um, we've been doing that since 2014. So, um, you know, I, I do want to close with this is, you know, we talk about being, um, about being missionaries or evangelizing, right? Well, we need to really answer the question and know what a disciple is. And I, I'm sure that you guys know <laughs> what that means. But I, I was, you know, thinking about this and praying um, about it. Is that a disciple, right, is a person who does follow um, Jesus Christ and learns from him. And what, uh, what an amazing um, thing that we get to learn from, from him and follow him and be led by the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift, the greatest counselor, Right in John 14, we're told that we can receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you got to get the Holy Spirit, and you would know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So I just pray that as well. That you know, Corey talked about love. Um, I pray that, that that love comes forth here, but also that the Holy Spirit um, invades your life <laughs> because the Holy Spirit brings such an incredible change. Um, but God is raising up deliverers to meet the groan of prisoners. I'm going to say that again. God is raising up deliverers. He's raising up you to meet the groan of prisoners, of those who are feeling trapped or hopeless, because we have the solution. We know the solution, right? He is restoration, Jesus Christ. And so in closing, what's the point of all this, right? There's purpose in the escape, right? Leviticus 26.13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your head held high. And in Exodus 8.1, right, let my people go so that they may worship me, right? So these women that are stuck in this or young men, whoever it might be, they have a destiny and a calling for their lives just as we do, and it is to worship the Lord God. This is a picture of the tiny little hearts. There's one in the back. It's called the Kintsugi necklace. And for anybody familiar with a, what, does anyone know what Kintsugi is? Has anyone heard of that? 
Awesome. One person. All right. Cool. <laughs> so kintsugi is an old Japanese art form where if the dish would break, they would actually put it back together with gold seams. Okay. So, so think about that for a second, right? Even though broken, put together with gold seams and, and I mean, they're really beautiful. But is that not a picture of what God does with us? Anna, um, again, overcomer of trafficking, she's my outreach partner. She created and hand-painted these beautiful little kintsugi heart necklaces, and we have some in the back. Um, but she's been able to come out of what she has to worship the Lord God, and she does that through the creative arts, uh, right? So we're each designed to do something, um, but our heart call is to really serve, honor, and love um, the Lord God. So you can play a key role in her restoration. Um, thank you so much for having us. Um, we're always looking for prayer support. We have actually only two prayer guides left because uh, we gave most of them most of them out on Wednesday. But um, any intercessors in here who want a prayer guide, all right, take one. You grab one of those prayer guides. <laughs> There's two left. Anyone? Someone else want one? And then right there. Yep. So there, you guys. All right, two prayer guides. That's all we got. <laughs> all right. And then, um, of course, being a support partner and volunteering. We're always looking for somebody who wants to bake goods um, for our outreach. And um, there's other ways to get involved. So you can find out more at action169.com. Um, we're going to be hanging out here in the back. But I just want to thank you so much. And, um, yeah, I think, that's all. I think that's all we got. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Danielle. Yes. Praise God. As Danielle was speaking, one verse, two verses came to mind. One passage. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Of course. For anything that becomes visible is light. And so the question is, is there anything that is unredeemable? No. There is nothing that is unredeemable. For if anything becomes exposed by the light, it becomes visible, and that which is visible becomes light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so all of these things... What is Christ doing? He's exposing them that they might then teach the world that anything can be redeemed. Everything. Anybody. So, with that, we're going to break into prayer groups. And so, Doug, would you be willing to